Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed Susie Larson Live if you listened to it, and I'm glad you're with me. And I hope you have plenty of time this afternoon because I have a great show just for you. Guy Talk's going to start in just a minute or two. And then uh, Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to join me in hour two. We're going to talk about how easy it is to be happy. And I think it's what you focus on. And here's a, a little heads up hint I think gratitude is going to be part of that discussion. So I'm looking forward to that. But I've got the power panel assembled for today. Pastors uh, Tom Paris, Justin Jepson, and Dr. Peter Capster, and Jeffrey Doran's going to join me. I'm proud to call these men my friends, as they are kind to dogs, children, <laughs> mothers, mother-in-laws, and widows. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. Most of the time. Thanks. <laughs> 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 radio show. Oh, yes, thank, thank, thank you. Bill. Thank you. Yeah. How is everyone doing? Grateful. Yeah. See, that's the right attitude, Justin. <laughs> leave it leave it to 007 to Brown knows the 5 o'clock in the hour guest. I just leave it to him. <laughs> I was just listening. Yeah, I just want to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So always, uh, you know, with the format today, with questions come in, and I, I encourage you right now to send your questions over. The panel will do their very best to answer to the best of their ability, whatever you throw their way. The number to text is 877-933-2484. No questions too hard. Uh, except the ones we can't answer. So uh, 877-933-2484. And I think the rule of thumb is sometimes questions come in and and the question could be answered by one guest. And you don't have to feel, of course, obligated to throw your two cents in unless you feel like you have something else to add, you know? Sometimes I think uh, we take uh, a question and then we give everyone a chance to respond. And that's great. If there's enough meat on the bone, right? And if we think that we can mm-hmm. move on, and we don't have to worry about it. Sounds good. How do you how do you like that rule, Peter? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's great. You know, with, with some, especially some of the shows, Bill. For some reason, some of the uh, questions prompt a lot more questions from more listeners, and we we end up only getting to maybe thirty percent of the questions. So if we can cover it a little bit more quickly, sometimes that can be really helpful. Yeah, and mm-hmm. has Jeff uh, joined me yet? Yes, I'm here. Jeff, welcome. Hi. Nice to have you with us. And I thought the timing is impeccable because I said, what time are you joining us today, Jeff? And you said, oh, I thought it was next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, the the last time you told me some of the details, it was going to be one week on Tuesday and the alternate week yeah. on Thursday. Yeah, so that makes perfect sense. So I threw you a curveball. So, <laughs> you um, so thank you for joining me twice in a row this week. Uh, I've always, always liked having you on. All right, here's the first question I want to address, and this is the lukewarm Christian that's talked about in Revelation 3. And Jesus is going to spit them out of his mouth. What does that mean? And should Christians be nervous that they're lukewarm? Jeff, I'll let you go first. Oh, I love this one. This is, uh, it's, lukewarm is often referred to as the measure of our faith. So people will say, are you hot 
for for Christ? Are you lukewarm for Christ? Or are you cold for Christ? And that's actually not what this passage is saying. It actually starts with, I know your deeds. So the lukewarmness is not a measure of your faith. It's a description of your deeds. Jesus goes on to say, I wish you were either hot or cold. Well, if this was about faith, then being cold for Jesus would be, you know, not saved, basically. And why would Jesus say, uh, I wish you were cold? I wish you were not saved. That doesn't make any sense. If you know the history of surrounding Laodicea, there were hot aqueducts coming in from Herodian, and there was cold aqueducts coming in from Colossae, and those two uh, uses were, were useful to the Laodiceans. Hot water was useful, uh, hot mineral water was useful, cold uh, spring water was useful, but when they mixed, they were lukewarm. They were not useful at all, so he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, and that is what lukewarmness is. So it's not a measure of faith, it's a measure of deeds. So I think in context, Jesus is saying, I wish you were either hot, I wish you were useful, I wish you were cold, I wish you were useful, but since you're not useful, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So I think lukewarmness in context of Revelation 3 is being unsaved. Gee, that's just great, Bill. Jeff got the game ball last week, and we were all kind of lining up to maybe have yeah. a shot, and now it's over. Well, like, just, that's, you know, nail in the coffin, drop the mic. I Kapsner, don't know what else we could say. Captain, you have jet lag, so, you know, you're already behind the eight ball. I, so, I, I was already, it was, I was already beaten in, in that moment. So it's, yeah. Yeah, well, this it's was over. one of my favorite because uh, I love teaching the end times in Revelation. This is this was a this was a fastball down the middle. So, <laughs> well, you know what I love about the, what you did there too, Jeff, is you took us into the context. I think yeah. so often we're just unfamiliar with Roman geography or Roman topography or just the way Ro Rome um, was conducting itself and how it organized itself. And and so when we see some of this imagery, we have to understand that it's being pulled from what was going on in that time. And I thought you bringing in that aqueduct uh, conversation about bringing those two waters together, it helps us understand why they were drawing the theological kinds of symbols that they were. It's fabulous. Well, I think also, Jeff, what you did is good, is that we often talk about faith, and we make it kind of a, a proposition. Okay, do you believe in Jesus or don't you? Yes, I believe. Not understanding that biblical faith goes way beyond just agreeing or saying that Jesus is Lord. It is now living for him, and following him and doing what he wants. And that's what you find here in Revelation. The people claim to love Jesus, but their deeds weren't following up with them. Yeah, I mean, that's what the vine and the branches are all about, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the lukewarm ones are the branches that are not connected to the vine. Jesus wants us to be fruitful for him. He wants us to be, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says we are saved by faith. But then the next verse right after that, don't forget, is to created to do good works. So he yeah. wants us to be fruitful for him, useful to him. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, I'm guessing yeah. what might be underpinning the question a little bit too, is somebody who is worried about the status of their salvation based on maybe their lack of works or feeling a, uh, divided of mind and of heart. And, and I think it's just really important to reassure people that the discipleship journey is just that it is a journey and there's an invitation to consistently grow in faith and to grow um, with with a with an undivided heart and uh, an increasing passion for kingdom life and and as we do that and as our faith gets uh, honed and and as uh, we go through difficulty in our lives oftentimes is what hones our faith we begin to be more single-minded and and 
what we have faith in naturally begins to bear fruit in our lives towards that faith. The deeds flow from what we have our faith in. And for many of us, we are of a divided heart. We, we put our faith in lots of different kinds of places. Jesus being, for some people, kind of part of a well-rounded life. You want to have a good job. You want to have a good family. You want to have a good Jesus and, and kind of like puts him in that category. And I think the invitation is that we need to to not be put, putting our faith in these other areas and increasingly become a person of the undivided heart. And as we do that, mm-hmm. as Jeff was saying from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and, and 10, the deeds begin to flow naturally from that. If, if I put my faith in my job, I naturally am oriented to try to want to do my job well. Um, and I don't have to try to force the issue. It just becomes part of how I'm wired in life. And, and I think for those people that are worried about their own lukewarmness, maybe the most profound prayer you can pray is just ask God to start doing the surgery of the heart needed to remove some of the lukewarmness, not go try harder and try to do everything better and make a bunch of resolutions. We can't fight our own sinfulness in that way. All we can do is yield and ask God to say, hey, can you begin to do the surgery needed so my heart is less divided? One of the best definitions I ever heard of maturing Christians is when we stop looking at the world through our own eyes. What's convenient? What's inconvenient? What works for me? What's good for me? And we start looking at people, circumstances, and life through Jesus' eyes. Because, quite frankly, to serve other people is never convenient from a human point of view. It takes time. It takes effort. But you're doing it out of gratefulness for all that Jesus has done for you. And the more we look through his eyes, and I would, the person who wrote this in, I would encourage them, you know, start looking more to Jesus and asking him to help mm-hmm. you see people and life through your eyes. And guess what? The good works will be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I, you know what? One of the things I love about Guy Talk, I love listening and learning from, from each of you guys. So um, I, this is great. I, I, I was looking at this. At, um, my mind is just uh, drawn back to, to verses 19 and 20 as well. I, I love everything that's been shared so far. And, and I think for the listener, you know, asking, should I feel concerned? You know, I think on top of that, also to be encouraged, you know, because I, I love what Jesus says in verse 19 of Revelation 3, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Mm-hmm. And this idea that the Lord disciplines those who are truly His, if he, if we were not disciplined, then, you know, He says in Hebrews that we reprove the illegitimate children. And so, um, we sh- you know, we can welcome the discipline of the Lord uh, as an expression of His love, and then this beautiful invitation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, uh, and so I think even, even in the hearing of God's voice, even maybe through this conversation, you know, I, I love how God extends this invitation towards repentance and restoration um, of his people because he loves us as his sons and daughters. That was the wisdom of Justin Jepson, 007. We'll take a little break. When we come back, I have a question about the name of Jesus. Why, uh, why, why do we say the Messiah's name in English as Jesus instead of Yeshua or even Joshua? That's the next question up. If you have a question, let me know what you have. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back to Guy Talk. We've got a great panel today. Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, Peter Kapsner, Jeff Verdorn. Always glad to have this uh, friends and men of God talking about what uh, you have for questions. Let me know, 877-933-2484. Next question that came up was, why do we say the Messiah's name in English is Jesus instead of Yeshua or even Joshua? Which is the most fitting way to say our Savior's name? Great question, Shane. Hmm. Jeff, you've got a good yeah. answer, I know. Uh, you, Tom, you start this one. Okay. Basically, uh, whether we're talking about Yeshua in the Old Testament, you're talking about Jesus in the Greek text. Um, if we believe that the Word of God is all written by the hand of the Spirit and by the Lord himself, they're all adequate names. And one is the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so you wind up with one name there. One is translated into Greek, which the New Testament was written in. You know, that comes out as Jesus, and then when that comes into English, that comes out as Jesus. Um, and it's there's even different understandings around the world. The point is, it's the same person, and whatever name you use from the Bible, if you use it consistently and understand he's the Savior, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, one thing yeah, I throw out. into the mix on this. Oh, go ahead, Justin. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, just that idea of that name, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, was actually it was a very common Jewish name, and it mm-hmm. it means it simply means God saves. But yet, Jesus Christ was the only one who actually embodied and was able to fulfill the meaning for that name, because you know that's when the angel told Mary that you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, I think it's that idea of Jesus as a very common, ordinary Jewish name, a human name, you know, partnered with, with, coupled with Christ, as you know, Christ isn't his last name. That's the title that he has. He is God's anointed one. He is, he is divine. He's God and man in one person. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes people will emphasize that by saying the full, his full, his name and title, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. And so, but yeah, to your point, Tom, I think, again, we can be faithful to Scripture by utilizing whatever um, version or language um, that, that we speak, because, you know, the Lord knows the intention of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so we can pray in the name in the name of Jesus, um, whether that's in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or English or Spanish. And so um, it'll, it'll sound differently according to different language, but it's the same. It's the same person. Yeah, I think within the Hebrew tradition, there certainly uh, the name was less about just the actual name, but it was more about the function that was applied to the person who was doing some kind of action or activity in the stories of the Old Testament, uh, meaning that it, it there's even a question whether these were actual names a lot of times that are in the text or if they were glossed in later by the Hebrew writers because they were naming the person according to their function or what they did. And so the name of Ruth, for example, means a friend or friendship. And clearly the story of Ruth centers around her her what's called hesed or loving relationship or friendship to Naomi. And it's, it's represented in that. Or um, Jonah means dove or, or pigeon. And there's some interesting symbolism related to that. Uh, Noah means renew or a restart kind of idea. And so when we read the Gospel of Matthew, it says at the end of the genealogy, uh, and his name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name actually means salvation. It's what he's bringing 
to the table. And so I, this is not like a, a magic name that we invoke, but it is a, it is a recognition mm-hmm. that there's power in Jesus's name, mm-hmm. not because we just simply say the name of Jesus in whatever language we say it, whether it be Yeshua or, or Jesus, whatever language it is. It isn't that sort of magic wandy kind of thing. When we're saying there's power in the name of Jesus, it means that his name brought the curse breaking power to the sin that was dwelling within this world, meaning that he broke the whole world free from the power of sin and death. So his name was represented in his function or what he brought to the table. And I think that's that's helpful as opposed to saying, gosh, if we can just say the name in the correct way or the correct language, we're going to receive some kind of power from that. Hmm. Nice job, yeah, gentlemen. I think there's power, there's power in the name of Jesus for mm-hmm. sure. So, and, mm-hmm. and I speak English, and I know that some Christians, there are some who are trying to uh, say that only Yeshua is the proper name, and I speak English, so I I know Jesus through His English name, which is Jesus, as Tom described. I agree with everything that you guys said. So, all right, here's another question in Psalm 91, 14 through 16. The psalmist is writing using he and him. Who is the psalmist referring to? For reference, verse 14 says. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. There are a lot of pages turning, which is a good sign. <laughs> Sounds like a great question for Justin. It's one of those things he seems like he would know off the top of his head. I was thinking about picking on Justin. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a great idea. <laughs> that sounds, no, go ahead. I I love Psalm 91. It's... Um, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my, my late grandmother's um, favorite psalms and one that she taught me when I was, you know, a little boy. And so it's been one that's near and dear to me. Um, but I think I think part of the question is is answered, um, you know, in the very beginning of Psalm 91. It's, he, he, he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Um, and then because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. He knows my name. I think that the psalmist here, um, which um, and a lot of people, we don't know for sure the exact author of the psalm um, because it is it follows right after Psalm 90, which was uh, authored by Moses. A lot of people have suspected that this uh, that this is actually a continuation of Psalm 90, and so Moses um, could have authored this. And it seems it seems fitting when you look at the content here in terms of his life and his ministry and his, his testimony, but. Um, that aside, uh, while we don't know for sure the author, we know that the person who puts their trust and seeks refuge in God, um, it's talking about that that person, the type of person that would do that, that they have that security, to have that promises of of protection from God. And so, I mean, it's very similar. Um, you know, in Psalm one, it says, "Blessed is the man, or blessed is the godly person." Um, that, you know, that does not, you know, walk in the way of sin or stand in the seat of scoffers or sit in the seat of scoffers, um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's talking about the kind of the type of the attitude of the person and how, and how they relate to God. And so um, now at the same time, um, last thing I'll say here, you know, when we read the Psalms Christologically, um, there's a sense in which, I mean, Jesus is the one who embodied this. Um, and, and interestingly, this is, this is this very Psalm that Satan quoted to Jesus. And when he tempts him in the, in the desert saying, well, you should throw yourself off the temple for he will command his angels concerning him that his heel, you know, will not strike the ground. But 
as, as Satan does, that he tells the best lies because he tells something that's close to the truth, but he misses the whole context and the whole purpose of that, which is what follows after, which is the that he says, um, you know, the, the verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. And so that's, he completely obviously missed that part <laughs> because he took the verse out of context. And so I think on one hand that this is referring to the godly person and their disposition towards God. Um, but of course that is completely and perfectly embodied in Christ. And he's the one who empowers us to actually live according to the truth that Psalm 91 uh, reveals to us. Thank you, Justin. Any additions? Right. <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. Okay, good. What's hard in English is for us to understand this. The psalm is saying much more about the Lord and what he will do than it is speaking to an individual. And in the, in the uh, Hebrew, uh, the personal pronouns that we read in here aren't in the Hebrew. It's just simply saying, it's not saying the Lord will for you. It's saying the Lord will do this. And we apply it to ourselves personally, and that's the way the translators do it because that's accurate. But it's really for the reader to then understand that everything it's saying about the Lord and what he will do applies to us, even though the personal pronouns don't show up. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. Wondering if believers' souls are taken to heaven, where are non-believers taken? Will believers who have died be alive during the thousand-year reign, or are they in heaven until judgment? That sounds like a Jeff Dorn question. That's a good one. No, Jeff, I'm taking notes. So we, I second that. We know, we know after the cross, uh, what's cover both the righteous and, and the unrighteous after the cross. So the righteous, when they die are immediately in the presence of the Lord. So Paul says it would be better for me to depart and be with the Lord by far, right? He says, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. So we know when a believer in Christ Jesus dies, they will immediately be in the in the third heaven, the paradise of God, up with Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. For the unrighteous, I believe they still go to a place called Hades, uh, which is uh, described in, in the Gospels, where you had one side... Uh, was the good side, the bosom of Abraham, which I believe before the cross held the righteous but is empty today, and the other side where the rich man went, where he was in, quote, torment. Um, And so I believe that the lost continue to go to this place called Hades, down in torment, which in Scripture is always described as beneath the earth or in the heart of the earth or in the center of the earth or things like that. That's why we point down Um, A lot of the English translations will say hell instead of Hades. Hades is the proper Greek word for it. In the Old Testament, it was called Sheol, which was normally translated as the grave. As for when the righteous, if the righteous will be in the millennial reign, absolutely. Revelation 19 says that the armies of heaven were following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And uh, Revelation declares that we will come to life and reign with him for a thousand years. So yes, I believe the church, the glorified uh, church will be in their glorified bodies and reign with Christ on earth for a thousand Great years. Great answer. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we have time for your questions. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
are back with Guide Talk. Great questions coming in. Thank you so much for sending them over. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. David wants to know when Cain left after he killed Abel, who were the people that he got involved with? Where'd they come from? What kind of hooligans were these? Where'd they find Where'd they find them? <laughs> That's such a good question. I guess it comes up often. It's, it's called... Yeah, I mean, the, the question really is, is that chapter four, Cain and Abel's story comes right after chapter three, which is the exile from the Garden of Eden, in which we see Adam and Eve, the original people, leaving the garden. Uh, I think I think we can safely say that there's no right dogmatic answer to this. I think we can also safely say that people have had a variety of explanations and responses for that, but to try to land on any one specific one runs the risk uh, of reading into the text what the text is not prepared to answer. So some people might say there was pretty extended gap between leaving the garden and the Cain and Abel story, and that gave time for human beings to populate, and maybe some of Adam and Eve's other children uh, went to other parts of the world. That's one plausible explanation. I once uh, asked a Jewish rabbi about this who was um, pretty well-versed in the Old Testament, or at least it came up in the context of this, and he said, you know, really, the, and without getting too deep into the weeds of Genesis 1, he says that we, we put in the word the, in in the beginning but in the hebrew it just simply says in beginning and and what he was saying in that is that what the jews were trying to do when they were writing the story is they were giving us both um i would say it this way they were giving us a macro look at how god created the world but they were also giving us a look at the origin of the jewish or the hebrew people but it was quite possible that within that macro creation of the universe and the heavens and the earth that god was also doing other beginnings of other peoples as well and uh and so i'm not advocating for that explanation i'm simply talking like it did to bring that idea to the table is simply to demonstrate how this question has puzzled theologians, both Jewish and Christian, over the years, and it's it would be pretty hard to have a dogmatic answer about it. Mm. Well said, Peter. Anybody else want to jump in? Well, they're either human or they're um, other beings that came along, which then introduces the idea of some kind of evolutionary idea. I personally don't believe that evolutionary concepts are consistent with the special creation that are described in Genesis. So if what Peter was outlining, I would stick with the uh, option one, uh, because Scripture says Adam uh, and Eve were the father and the mother of all living things. And so it seems to me you, it the, the options narrow down pretty quickly if Adam and Eve are going to be the parents of all human beings on earth. So it, I think, personally, it must have been other children that they had were, were these other people groups. But uh, I agree with Peter, there's not a ton of information in Genesis there. Yeah. The one thing I'll just add, just a, a curious note in, in Genesis 4, um, and this speaks to something that Peter alluded to, um, you know, sometimes there, if we would postulate or just hypothesize that there's a greater period of time between Genesis Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, but Genesis 4, 3 says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, which at least gives a hint to the possibility that Adam and Eve could have had other kids, uh, uh, you know, other children, other offspring, and that there could have been a popu you know, populated. And it's also Cain's, you know, the curse of Cain is um, him being a fugitive and him being on the run and, and him being fearful of somebody else taking his life. Um, you know, we're going to remember the people at this time, they were, they were living for hundreds of years. <laughs> so 
you know, there's definitely the, the possibility um, that they're, that they're, you know, but how they got there, that's, that's the puzzling mystery that we've, we're trying to put our finger on. All right. Here's another question. This uh, is, can you elaborate on the final judgment, particularly for believers? How can we be forgiven and judged? Well, I'll start, see what other people believe. The the Bema seat is the judgment seat of Christ, which is described in Corinthians, and it is the believer's quote-unquote judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe the picture that is presented is more of a, an award ceremony. If you know the, the Bema, the Bema seat from Corinth was actually a raised platform where people would give speeches or people would be rewarded or crowned for certain achievements. Uh, This is where kind of we get the raised platform from the Olympics actually comes from this idea of this raised platform being awarded. So I think the believer's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat is the rewards where we get our crowns for the things that we did while we are in the body. Good answer. That's a great answer. Anybody else want to add? You know, what Jesus pointed out, and this is where, and what Jeff is saying is right, we need a consistency when we read the Word of God. Jesus says that the moment you believe, you have passed from judgment to life. And he's using that same basic word there. So it's not judgment in the terms of heaven or hell. It's really basically a response to what we've done. And it's not so much a beating us down as it is to recognizing how we live for the Lord Jesus. All right. Nicely done, gentlemen. I appreciate that. Let's see here. What else has come in? Um, This passage in John 15, where a branch that bears no fruit is cut off. So what does that mean in terms of being fruitful for the Lord? And if you are a Christian and you are not bearing fruit, does that mean you run the risk of being cut off? Well, I think this is more of a of a pruning mechanism, <clears throat> uh, Bill, as opposed to us just being an individual branch. And and I think um, what we're talking about here is those things in our lives that need to be pruned um, because they are simply not bearing fruit. And so, for a tree to be healthy, you have to go through a pruning uh, time, and <laughs> and you have to be careful who's doing the pruning. Uh, I know that hmm. at one point I thought I was master pruner in the spring, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I destroyed multiple trees in our backyard. <laughs> so. Uh, I think how the pruning is done, and and this is where there's a real invitation here that a tree doesn't try really hard to bear good fruit. It doesn't go out there and say, I'm going to bear a bunch of fruit today. Uh, The tree's job is to be in the right kind of soil with the right kind of nutrition, and then it begins to naturally bear fruit from that place. And so that's why prior to these verses, Jesus says, you need, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. So it's the branch's job to simply abide in Jesus or to live life in increasing union with Jesus. And as you do so, natural fruit will be born from that because you're connected to the proper kind of vine or the proper kind of soil. I just, I, I think we need to maybe reimagine uh, biblically what the Christian life is meant to be. I just, I know so many believers who are caught 
in the trappings of making resolutions or maybe, you know, those middle of the night times where you wake up and you are, are maybe in some grief about how you've been treating people and you don't seem to be able to get through the patterns and you, you say, well, I'll do it better tomorrow and I'll do it, but I'll get my quiet times. Like all of that language of I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. That's just never the invitation about how to bear fruit. The, the bearing of fruit comes when you are abiding in the right place. And from that place, then the fruit just naturally comes forth. Now that's not easy. And you have to be willing then as you abide in the vine to let the pruner, that being Jesus, cut off those branches that are going to not be bearing fruit in your life in that kind of way. That's one way to understand the passage. There's other ways as well when it comes to maybe Jews versus Gentiles and a lot of stories that were part of that. But but I think the key part of this is it's our job not to try to make a bunch of resolutions to bear fruit again tomorrow. We can't battle against sin and death on our own. And and so it's a, it's a, a losing battle. We need to abide in the one who does defeat the power of sin and death and begins to enable us to do the same. It's interesting because once the scripture talks about us being saved by faith in Jesus, everything that comes after that talks about abiding in Jesus. And it is a process that unfolds over time. And I think too often people can come forward and I've had, um, yeah, I'm a Lutheran, but I've had altar calls and I've seen a lot of people come to Jesus and they come and they make the confession and they really say, I believe in Jesus. And then they go out and their life goes back to mediocrity. I think that's a problem, and I think they're going to have to bear with that. I think Jesus is saying here, don't let that happen. That's not the way I've designed you, that once you know me, I can empower you to do things you cannot even imagine. And if you won't let me do that, you know, you're withering off and you're dying, and that's not what I want for you. So I think it, it, it's got to look at it a number of ways. And part of the problem is, you know, me being a Lutheran, others being Baptist, some being Presbyterian, uh, you know, Episcopal, we have a tendency out of our own theologies to read into these passages what fits with our theology rather than looking at all of them and saying, it's a big picture and we better be serious about Jesus every day until we die. Nicely said, Tom Parrish. Anybody else want in? Dead silence. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I've got a fire sale going right now if anyone else wants in. <laughs> I like what Peter said, the, the branch's job is to abide. Yeah. Right. I, I heard somebody speak on this passage where it says we are just fruit hangers. Mm. Right. We are the branch. The, and, and Tom says that we are now empowered because we're connected to the vine. Remember, it's the vine mm. that produces the fruit. We just need to abide and he will bear the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the only thing to add, I think there's a sense of if you're not being fruitful, then you're not abiding. You know, and um, and I, you know, to Peter's point as well, the way to understand this between you know Jews or Gentiles, I think there there is a case that could be made there. Because he says in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. And you know, um, there's that idea, and the Gentiles are the ones that were grafted in, you know, into into the olive branch, and there's a wild shoot, but. Um, and salvation came first to the Jews, but to those that did not receive or accept him, they were the ones that were in the family, but yet did not um, receive Jesus as Messiah. And by rejecting him, they, they were not the true, true Jews, as Paul would say uh, later on. And so, um, but yeah, to Peter's point, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the striving and in, in the self-effort and there's a sense in which we we our true fruitfulness comes from that rest and that trust mm. you know and, and having god's word abide in us which jesus made very clear earlier in john that the 
the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders um, rejected Jesus and his word. And so I think having God's word abide in us is part and parcel of abiding in Christ and thereby bearing fruit and proving to be his disciples. Yeah, maybe one more uh, on that too, Justin, on what you were saying. It it prompted some questions about what might the fruit be that you can begin to expect to grow Mm -hmm. as you are the branch hanger, as Jeff was saying. What might that Mm -hmm. fruit look like? And I think we have to be pretty clear that later on in the scriptures, uh, Paul gives us some really good indications of what that fruit is. It's uh, uh, we see the fruit of abiding. We see the fruit of the spirit and, and it's love. And and sometimes we see that passage uh, and see like nine different fruits, like uh, love and peace and joy and patience and goodness. And uh, really within the Greek language, the fruit that's being born is just one fruit and it's expressed in so many different ways. It's It's the fruit of love. And so as you abide in Jesus, you start growing in all kinds of expressions of love. You you become more naturally, but supernaturally in its origin, you become naturally just a person who is faithful. You become a, a person who is becoming kinder. You become a person who seems to have joy in circumstances that otherwise you can't imagine somebody would have joy in. You grow in this love of the kingdom with these different kinds of expressions and, and facets to it. So instead of saying, gosh, I'm just you know going to go do a bunch of stuff for the kingdom. Um, it really is the growth of this this concentration of love with which the center of the universe pulsates. I mean, God is love. And we're not talking about the love of agreement, some weird version of American or Western love. We're talking about a love that is self-sacrificing and tenderhearted and never forsaking and willing to pursue somebody else's good or wholeness, setting aside all of your own desires uh, uh, to, to make that happen for another person. So I think you can tell when you're abiding in the vine, you begin to grow as a person who lives kind of a pretty simple life of transparency where you're not any longer trying to act kind you just simply are kind it's 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 how you operate within the world or you're not trying to become patient you actually are patient you you're not striving to do all of this you are just simply naturally but supernaturally at its origin growing in the ways of the kingdom life so you don't have to go out and strive every day you just become the kind of person that we're invited to be but of course that takes a ton of time and careful discipleship and a willingness to yield and all of the stuff that's part of the journey boy there's there's a spin-off show there deep thoughts by peter kapsner wow right I mean, there was happy days, and then, then there was Joni Loves Chachi, right? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was always sympathetic to Chachi. He was always sort of the junior varsity to Fonzie. So, yeah, if I could have a Chachi show, that would be amazing. I have a short illustration that we got to go to break, but I don't want to— Yeah, make it short. I will. I visited a couple married 65 years in their home, and when I sat down with them, they were holding hands, sitting across from me. And I said, you guys have been married 65 years. How is your level of love for one another? And the gentleman got tears in his eyes, and he looked at his wife, and he said, I love her more now than the day I married her. Folks, that's Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. That instead of worrying about whether we're, we're fruitful or not enough, how much are you falling in love with him? And when you love Jesus, guess what? He'll give you the power to care for other people. That's the wisdom of Tom Parrish. Yeah, amen to that. We'll take a little break, come back. Lots more time for your questions. All you have to do is send them over. Send me via text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
We're back with Guy Talk. Hey, Rosie, you know, when you pick that bumper, because that's a long bumper. Do you like I that know, bumper? I love that bumper. Okay, because you know, you don't have to wait for the horns to come in. I Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> I do. The, I have, the, personally, the I have to wait for the, the horns to come in. Part. I know, but... Plus, it was getting a little... The guys were getting a little long. I just thought we need a little, little music. A little little windy? Yeah, they were yeah. a little windy. So I just yeah. thought we need a little music. <laughs> I won't even tell you what Tom Paris said about you, Peter. I'll tell you oh, after no. the show. It was hysterical. I laughed out loud. All right, here's a great question. A friend of mine is skeptical to believe because the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not murder in the Old Testament, but God had people murdered all the time. It seems hypocritical. I don't know what to tell him. I'd like to talk to this person about what they mean that the Lord had people murdered. If killing people because they were disobedient or destroying what he was trying to create is murder, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. If he's doing it as a cleansing process to help the covenant go forward and to establish a people so that the majority could learn the truth, that's a different thing. So it's kind of a loaded word with the word murder there. Murder is more my vengeance, my desire, what I want to do because I don't like the person or what they did where the Bible is very straightforward. When the Lord does this, he's always doing it out of righteousness, and he's doing it for the kingdom. And so we've got to kind of come to that understanding. Otherwise, we get very confused on this. Anybody else? There's that awkward silence I love. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a hard question. I think, yeah, you know, the idea of God murdering somebody is, is yeah, to, to Tom's point, is very different. I mean, I think then a human taking another human's life, the Bible is very clear that um, essentially we do not have the right to do that. Um, but God, being the author of life, um, he, he acts, all of his acts are good and righteous, mm-hmm. even when they're difficult and we don't understand. And so I think we have to be careful not to project um, our human mentality upon God's divine uh, wisdom. Mm-hmm. What's your response when somebody says, well, the Bible, you know, it's filled with problems and errors and contradictions, and they sort of leave it at that. What do you say? Well, great. Show me. I'd like to see some of those. Show me, yeah. Yeah, Give me the details. (laughs) Let's talk about this for a little while. Yeah. And I've done that. I've done a lot of people, and and nobody's ever been able to come back with anything solid. Well, 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 it just, there there are things that don't make sense. Show me. Let's talk about it. Let's look at it in context. Mm -hmm. And for the few people that have actually sat down and done that with me, Bill, they've changed their minds. Once they finally get into the Word and really look at it, it's usually a hearsay that gets them there or their own trying to keep away from the Word. Yeah. How do you like uh, Tom Parrish and his street punk mentality? <laughs> <laughs> you want a piece of me? Huh? I was going to say, if that was done in Come and get a me. 1980s Goodfellas accent, that would have been really solid. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, you know, there are lists. There's many lists on the Internet if you go out there and search for contradictions in the Bible. and. And uh, the the critics of the scripture um, have lots of them, and and there's lots of things listed in these things. Now, some of them are simple um, interpretive types of, you can reconcile them through interpretation, you can reconcile them through uh, maybe some translation issues that that are in when you translate from Hebrew or Greek into English or whatever, but, you know, there are some, there are some out there that appear to be contradictions. But um, all the ones that I have ever researched and looked at can be resolved, and yes. most of them relatively easily. By yes. The way. Mm-hmm. When you hear this expression, this too shall pass, is that something from the Bible? Or is that uh, a cliche of some kind? Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot. It It is. It, it is a cliche. Um, you know, people say... Uh, 
that God promises never to give you more than you can handle. And it's actually God promises that he will not tempt you beyond what you're able to handle. Um, Paul actually laments in scripture where he says that he was experiencing torment beyond what he was even able to bear, uh, even desiring death. I mean, this is to the point of persecution uh, that he was actually wishing that he would pass away this life and, and move on to the next life. Um, so Christians have been persecuted throughout 2,000 years of history, uh, have been martyred in, in these 2,000 years of history, and will continue to be so. So um, there's no guarantee in Scripture that you know God will keep you completely from this kind of persecution. I, I, I can't even imagine the thousands and thousands that have died in the name of Christ. So um, I think the, the promise of God is that you, you won't be tempted beyond what you'll be able to handle. Um, but, uh, but persecution is we live in a fallen world mm -hmm. with fallen people making fallen decisions with a fallen angel running around. And remember, God says, do not fear him who can destroy the body. Well, I think that's Satan in this world that does have the power to, uh, to martyr believers in Christ. So, um, but our trust is always in him. And we know that, that our light, what God, what Paul says is our light and momentary troubles are nothing. Mm -hmm compared to the surpassing surpassing greatness of our future, of what's in store for those who believe in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Great answer. That's a great yeah, answer. Yeah, I think I, just, and maybe just to add a quick piece to that, is that I'm not sure what we're looking for when we say things like, this too shall pass. Uh, I, I think we're probably wishing for a reversion back to a life prior to whatever this is that we want to pass. And... I, I'm, I'm really sympathetic for all of it. I mean, life is just, it's a tough journey. We live in a broken, fallen world, as Jeff said. And I think we just have to be mindful that the scriptural invitation about when the tears are going to get wiped away from our life, there isn't an invitation in scripture that that's going to happen in its fullness in this life. We are going to get a God of comfort and a God of compassion who brings rest and peace to our troubled souls. But the fullness of our tears being wiped away uh, is not going to happen until the king returns and earth and heaven become one. And now we live in, in this beautiful city of unfolding light where Revelation 22, it says Jesus will wipe away all of the tears. There now is no longer any curse. And so I think just sort of sitting back and waiting for the this of this too shall pass doesn't really um, help us understand what the beautiful invitation of the hope of glory is, where we can live in a hope for when that day is that it will have passed, all of it will have passed in those moments. Nicely spoken. Thank you so much. Well, this is an interesting timing. My text line just froze up, and I can't get access to any of the questions anymore. So there you go. that just went down. I couldn't get back online. No, so, I, I heard. I grew up. <laughs> what did you say? When I, when I well, I'm just going to say some more awkward silence. Seems like it'd be perfect. For this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to play the horn song again? No, no, no. Tom Harris is no say when something. I moved, when I moved to Minnesota, I, I went to a potluck dinner for the first time, and they served lutefisk. And I think it was a Lutheran who said that, because I'm sure it was the pastor who said, this too shall pass. Well, that's... I'd say I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's comedy. Um, so, no, we're, uh, we're out of uh, text line questions because my text line froze. So, anyway, we only have a, a minute left, so I'll just say thanks for uh, joining Guy Talk today. It's always great to be together. It's always great to look at God's Word and discuss it and get into the, the, the depth and the context and the meaning and how we are supposed to do a biblical interpretation 
and how we're supposed to look at things in all of Scripture versus just taking one verse and not looking at all the Bible teaches about that subject or that particular verse. So as we go about studying the Word, make sure you are looking at all the verses that pertain to it, put it in context, understand the meaning, and then if you are full of questions, write them down throughout the week, and then you can text them over to me anytime throughout the week. You don't have to just wait until Thursdays when we do Guy Talk. You can text them over to me anytime you want, and I'll put them in the queue for when we meet uh, next time. And also, if you like email, you can also just email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Bill. As always, a pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Bill. Justin, Peter, Tom, thank you. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to join me, and he's going to talk about it's easy to be happy, just so you know. And I think gratitude is going to be a big part of that discussion. So that's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.